This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And Rebecca Ford. Hello. Uh, it's less than two weeks until the Oscars, which is a, an alarming stat for like the pile of like pre-writes I'm supposed to be working on, really giving people a glimpse behind the scenes here. Um, but the preparations are really underway. And after the SAG Awards on Sunday night, it is really hard to tell what's going to happen in a lot of these races, which is exciting, I think, for a lot of us and also terrifying since next week we're making our predictions of who will win in all these categories. Um, so we'll talk about the SAG Awards and the PGA Awards, which also happened over the weekend. Um, and then we're going to get into the Oscar shorts, an annual highlight. Uh, we watched all of them. We will talk about uh, maybe some predictions of who will win, though the shorts are notoriously hard to predict, even more so than maybe Best Actor this year. Um but a lot of them are available to watch online and very much worth it. Um, so let's go to the SAGs first. Uh, David and Rebecca, you guys attended in person. Um, they streamed on Netflix's YouTube channel for the first time. Maybe we'll get into the uh, the viewing experience later. But um, Rebecca, in the room, you kind of included some details on our wrap-up post about how um, if it seemed like everything everywhere all at once was uh, succeeding for, on television, it was even more potent in the room. You really could feel it. And and. I feel like every time they won something, it wasn't just where they were all sitting that stood up. It was like the room, you know, and and at the end of the night, uh, I was at Valet and there were a, f a few publicists and awards people and the chaos of trying to get out of that building. You, know, you kind of like it's a good place to gossip. And and everyone was just like, yeah, they got it. You know, I mean, they, they are clearly, clearly going to win Best Picture. Like everyone seemed very sure and and mostly happy with it other than, other than the obvious competitors but uh it did it did feel like a, a really big moment for that film for sure it, it was exactly to that point even before the show started and everyone's uh very crowded in mingling over cocktails the sentiment was very much that everything everywhere was definitely winning sag awards there was no surprise there um and that it was a very clear favorite at that point to win the oscar now that it's won DGA, PGA, and SAG, uh, that being the final of the three, the big three, uh, it's it's pretty unstoppable, and that seems to be the sentiment. Do you have the stat handy of the last film to win all three? Because Coda didn't. I don't think Parasite did, or maybe Parasite did. Uh, Parasite did not. Parasite did not win PGA or DGA. Uh, I guess Nomadland probably did. But, yeah, you know, Nomadland. Didn't, it didn't win SAG though. Oh, and even Francis oh, yeah. McDormand did not win at SAG. Right. Um, David, you had been preparing to cover the, the PGAs for us on Saturday night and had basically prepared for two outcomes. Either Everything Everywhere wins, which was the front runner, or Top Gun was the one we were kind of looking at as the potential spoiler. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, not nominated there. Um, how surprised were you by what happened at PGAs? Uh, I wasn't very surprised. Um, definitely after BAFTA. The question of, is there an alternative? Is that search ongoing was um, 
you know, an ongoing question. And so I was, yeah, to your point, looking at Top Gun Maverick as the only film with that particular group of voters that could probably beat it. The reason PGA was such a hurdle for everything everywhere all at once was they vote on a preferential ballot, which mimics mimics, um, the Academy's method of voting for best picture. And this, you know, hesitancy of some people to predict everything everywhere fully has been rooted in the fact that it is kind of a weird movie. And will older people in the Academy particularly vibe with it, so to speak. Um, And the Producers Guild is even more conservative than the Academy. So this was the place where it would be proven that it couldn't necessarily pull it off on that kind of system, and yet it did. So that, to me, was the last sign I needed that it has a pretty clear path. Um, And yeah, that was also very much the last stand for Top Gun Maverick. So then I guess let's talk about what did surprise us at SAGS, which was uh, almost everything else. I mean, we can maybe <laughs> we can maybe talk about the TV awards, where I think we're all in the thick of Oscars here. I mean, Richard, you were watching at home just like I did. Um, when Jamie Lee Curtis took that stage, uh, what, what was the combination of feelings you had? Um, desperately trying to remember if I was on the record on the podcast as saying if Jamie Lee Curtis is nominated, <laughs> she's going to win. So I could be like, yeah, no, I totally was on this from the beginning. <laughs> I haven't been saying Angela Bassett for... <laughs> I think you might have. I have a memory of hearing you say that at least. That was interesting. A friend texted me toward the start of the show when they did the, you know, I'm so-and-so and I'm an actor. And when the camera went to Jamie Lee, you could hear the audience in the room erupt, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and he texted, he was like, she's going to win. Um, and then when she did win, he texted saying, um, I just can't stop being right or something, something pithy. Um, <laughs> Told you. And then I, of course, had to get all nerdy and be like, well, you know, technically, you know, whatever. <laughs> and he was like, no, I was mostly kidding. But um, sorry, Dan. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that the Jamie Lee Curtis win was the beginning of basically the little rickety uh, palace of knowledge I've <laughs> built over the past few months collapsing, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Yeoh won, Brendan Fraser won. And I was like, well, now I don't know anything. You know, I know the SAGs are not 100% predictive. Um, you know, there's been lots of instances in years, recent years where those things have not lined up. But for a race that was starting to seem pretty clear, I would say in three categories, now to have only one acting category still sort of sewn up in, in Kiwi Kwan, it's exciting. There's a little bit of a dent to some sort of professional pride, I suppose, <laughs> that like <laughs> I didn't see a lot of this coming. Um, but it did make for a dynamic night. And I think that what the SAGs did well with those winners is that, you know, we've seen Angela Bassett give a speech. We've seen Austin Butler give a speech. We've certainly seen Kate Blanchett give speeches. And this was just like, all right, like now let's see what the other ones would look like. And, mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the other ones anyway. And um, I think that spreading of the wealth means that hopefully in the rearview mirror, once this is all passed and we're off to summer or whatever, that this award season will feel like everyone got their little moment of due, um, regardless of who won at the end. That's a really mm-hmm. nice way to think about it, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. If it would have been one thing if Jamie Lee Curtis just kind of won on her own, and that was a really exciting and surprising and maybe strange moment, um, given how that category had been moving. But as you say, Richard, the utter love for her in that room um, at multiple points. I mean, even of the clip reels, and she by no means has the biggest or richest performance in that category. Her clip got the loudest applause. She, th- There was so much affection for her. And you're in a room... F- full of actors. And so that told me a lot that she is definitely a stronger contender here than we gave her credit for. I fully assumed she was going to win the Golden Globe and that that Mm -hmm. would kind of set her off. She did not. But, you know, at this point, we've had two industry groups, groups with Academy Overlap weigh in. Um, One chose Carrie Condon in, in BAFTA and one chose Jamie Lee Curtis. So Angela Bassett actually has not been the selection of an industry group yet, which is pretty concerning for that campaign, I would say. Yeah, that race really feels totally up in the air now yeah. when I feel like two weeks ago I would have said it's Angela Bassett for sure. Um, I agree. I mean, right when they showed Jamie Lee's clip before they announced the winner of that category, the applause for her was just so loud that in my head I was like, oh, she's going to win. And I yeah. had not 
realize it until that moment that and she's so charming on stage you know she's so self-deprecating about being a nepo baby she delivers that in such a way that everyone in the room eats it up every time and i just feel like it was such a huge win for her but overall just to see uh michelle win michelle as jamie lee curtis calls her in her she said on little gold men have i been pronouncing her name wrong this whole time or is that a jamie lee curtis special it really made me it's a jamie lee curtis special (laughs) but to you know to see her win when we've all felt that like kate has it sewn up showing the support behind this film uh over and over and over again it's like you really it's very clear it's been a long long time that since I can remember that we've seen like such a definitive sweep. I, I mean, I'm not, not talking about SAGs in particular, but if, if that were to repeat at the Oscars, if everything everywhere, one director picture, probably a screenplay and three acting prizes, like that would be, I can't remember Insane. the last time anything like that has happened. Well, I looked it up. Uh, the last film to win three acting awards was network. And the one before that was Streetcar Named Desire. Um, it's so uncommon. And then I think, David, you were helping me crunch the numbers on two acting awards plus Best Picture. McMillian Dollar Baby was the last one? Million Dollar Baby was the last one. Shakespeare in Love, the one before that. Um, but, of course, Shakespeare in Love did not win everything that Everything Everywhere is probably going to win. Yeah. So it's it's – it's an unprecedented. It's going into these Oscars in an unprecedented position, especially just given the fact that it is a movie so outside of what the Academy would honor even five years ago, and that's a really exciting thing. I do want to say one more thing about Jamie Lee Curtis, not to dent her momentum here on Little Gold Men, but I do find I, I find the rallying around it kind of unusual, um, you know, because it to me it strikes me as an as an industry veteran vote which, you know, SAG and the Oscars alike do all the time. But, you know, Angela Bassett is kind of sitting right there. Mm-hmm. And it does make me wonder, is there that much affection for this performance? Which I think she's lovely in the movie, but I kind of have a hard time believing that, especially when Stephanie Shu is right there. Or is it just that the love for her is so overwhelming? Um, because if that's the case, then it probably would carry her through uh, and if it's not, I do still have a hard time seeing her win because I, I don't think she has the best performance of the category. I don't think she has even the best narrative of the category. So she's in this weird, you know, middle ground that I, I do find a bit perplexing, especially given that it took so long for her to win a big one. Um, that There was a real rallying around her in a way that I'm still trying to figure out. Was it not a love for the film that carries her through? Well, you know, she's been that. such a head cheerleader for that movie. Like, she describes herself in that way. And so if you're saying, like, I love this movie, I want to vote for it everywhere I can, and you get to that category and you say, oh, well, Jamie Lee already won. And, you know, Stephanie Hsu, I think, gives a stronger performance in that category from that movie. But, you know, she's new. She's a fresher face. Like, I can see how you just go down, you know, straight ticket, everything everywhere, and give her the win. Yeah, I think it's just the combination of the win and the sentiment in the room. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so strong, and it, it you know, wasn't the same for Stephanie Shue. I just simply was not. <laughs> Although she is the greatest cheerer for her table mates. Absolutely. I, I, listen, I, I think she's great in the movie, and I, I, I'm not saying it's completely undeserved or anything like that. I just find it a bit unusual that this has been the coalescing in this particular category, which has a lot of really strong, really showy performances. Do we... Katie, now that you mentioned people voting, you know, straight straight down the ticket here, do we think there are Academy voters who witness SAG and think, well, they're getting too much. We got to spread this around and I'm not going to vote for them. as Like, is there going to be a yeah. blowback because we're now heading into voting? I don't know, man. It's so hard. I don't know either. I feel like I was texting with another person who um, I won't name, but who is a very closely connected to the Oscar races um, on our side of things. And um, you're texting with Michelle Yeoh, okay? <clears throat> Michelle. <laughs> and I said, okay, so is JLC just going to win? He said, well, I don't know. In a weird way, I could see this prying open a path for Kerry Condon. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard that because, a lot. That's okay. who I'm, I would predict today. That is yeah, who I like would predict. Bassett's falling by the wayside. And I think the thing with Bassett, who is, you know, obviously an iconic performer, she's great in that movie. I bet you in that room, 
when they played that clip, that's the first time a lot of people saw it. I think a lot of people just haven't seen Black Panther 2 because it didn't get great reviews. Sorry, Wakanda, Wakanda Forever. It didn't get great reviews. It did well, but it wasn't the huge, you know, thing that the the first film was. And Bassett got the sort of nod of recognition of respect. You know, she is a you know powerful force in that movie. Spoiler alert, it will be her last movie unless there are flashbacks. So, like, I think that propelled her. But then you have Jamie Lee Curtis, who also has a long-standing industry narrative in a movie that everyone loves, and that just comes steamrolling through in, at the SAGs, which is a sort of... The SAGs have interesting sort of sentimental taste in a way, not always for older performers, but, like, think about Emily Blunt winning for A Quiet Place, you know? Hmm. Like, there, there is this kind of, like... I think sometimes people vote for the careers that they want um, mm. at the SAGs, and Jamie Lee Curtis, like legendary, but you know, like late in life resurgence, great. Emily Blunt, newer arrival, you know, married to a powerhouse new, you know, director slash sitcom star, like that's a fun narrative. Angela Bassett's narrative, while she has done incredible work, is unfortunately marred by the fact that like the industry treated her like shit for years, you know, and she mm-hmm. didn't get the the stuff she deserved after what Love's got to do with it. And so I th- and and then add to that the Marvel thing, and I just wonder like. I don't know, maybe something about the SAGs in particular primed that pump for Jamie Lee Curtis that the uh, the Academy, which is much much more um, diverse in its sort of professional makeup, may, I think they might go a different route. So then what's the case for Carrie Condon? It, that, that's a, a widely loved movie, and now it's narrow, like more and more becoming the only chance to give that movie an award. And also, I mean, in the modern era, BAFTA and SAG have never gone with zero crossover. This is the first time that's happened. And BAFTA matters a great deal. I mean, you can look at the wins of Anthony Hopkins or Francis McDormand or Olivia Coleman. Like, they do signal a certain block's preference that SAG does not always feature. And that is the, you know, European block, the international block. And the fact that they did go with Carrie Condon uh, indicates there is enough support there. And the fact that this category is so disparate and confusing, I think the fact that she is now probably the best chance of a win for a widely liked movie yeah it gives her a lane absolutely um whereas i just i I do think to your earlier question rebecca there is going to be a little bit of a i just can't imagine everything ever breaking all those records and maybe that is my (laughs) feelings about the academy and maybe it's changed more than i thought but it, it you did sense a little bit of wow this is a lot um i heard that from a few reps at, at the after party. And I, I do wonder, you know, I, I still think, for example, Cate Blanchett is probably going to win the Oscar. I oh, actually... Interesting. We, should, we, we need to get to this. I thought Michelle was had a really good chance to win SAG. I mean, if we believe that movie was going to get as wide as an embrace as it did, then yeah, she was in it. And I was so happy that she did get that moment. But it does feel like, similar with Carrie Condon, Tar is a widely respected movie and she's really the only chance for a win there. So at this point, we're really talking about a bunch of movies that may not win anything that are widely liked. So everything everywhere just wins everything. And I, mm. I don't I don't know if I see that happening. Well, when we talk about Carrie Condon, I think about Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton, which was maybe I think we talk a lot about supporting actors being wide open every year. But this really feels like the most wide open it's been since that year. I'm going to see if I can get everything right. Tilda Swinton won the BAFTA for Michael Clayton. Ruby D won the SAG for American Gangster. I think Kate Blanchett, and I'm not there. She's always around, um, won the gold, won the Globes. And then Amy Ryan for Gone Baby Gone Run won Critics' Choice. Like truly everyone won something different. Um, and Tilda Swinton kind of swoops in and wins for Michael Clayton in this like perceived to be completely split field. Um, I don't remember if Michael Clayton won another Oscar. I don't think it Don't think so. It was pretty widely nominated, though. Yes, exactly. It was very well liked um, and kind of in a similar situation. It's a very different movie from Banshees. But um, yeah, I I think that those things add together in a compelling way. I also feel like supporting actors might get decided by like 50 votes or less. Because it's not a preferential ballot. So it really, splitting also matter. Like all these things matter. And Carrie Condon kind of has a lane to herself. I don't know that anyone else does. Rebecca, you've been saying you've been worried about Angela Bassett. Like, do you feel like, I mean, she she can handle it. She's had a long career, but do we just, do we, do we feel like the overall disappointment of Angela kind of coming so close and, and winning would be kind of a mar on these Oscars? Yeah, I think there's just, there's a lot of sadness with what happened with her career after she was nominated last time. She talks about how she couldn't get work yeah. for 18 months and, and she hasn't had those opportunities in a, you know, a Hollywood 
that didn't allow for space for uh, a leading woman of color for a long time. And she's so talented. And it feels like if you're going to give a, a legacy award, why wouldn't it be to her, uh, you know, on top mm -hmm. of the performance she gives in this? So I think that will be the thing that makes me saddest on Oscar night, if it happens. You know, I, I, I'm not, obviously, I think we're all saying we're not 100% sure what is happening in this category, but it, it does feel like that would be a real bummer. <laughs> the, but yeah. the last thing I'll say in this category is her, you know, the hope for her chances and the, you know, statistical <laughs> comparison is probably someone like Regina King, who wasn't even recognized by SAG or BAFTA, mm -hmm. similarly. What a coincidence. She's also a black actress. Yeah. Um, and she did go on to win the Oscar. And it did feel like there was momentum, renewed momentum in her candidacy there based on the fact that she wasn't getting recognized everywhere she should have been. Um, I think it's a little different because that movie was more in line with Academy Tastes, even if they didn't nominate it too widely. Um, but there is precedent for this kind of weird stalling for an actress of color in this category who then can find that crest of support at the end. Yeah, because I feel like a couple of weeks ago we were saying it's dangerous to be a frontrunner for too long, so maybe this is okay yeah. and, and we'll work out in the end. We just, we just don't know. And Jamie Lee Curtis's speech, which was fun at the SAGs, like that was a SAGs appropriate speech. You know, yeah. my parents are actors. This feels great. Thank you so much. Like, can't believe it. I, you know, whatever. I think that Bassett and, and the, the grandeur of the Oscars, you know, which surpasses the SAGs by, you know, orders of magnitude, like, she's just like a better win for that night, I think, you know, she that's better, that's be better for the show, cynically speaking. And, and it, yeah, it, I think it means more um, than, than a Jamie Lee Curtis win would. I think that's totally right. She will give you a speech that we will talk about in years to come, I feel like, because she can deliver that moment and knows the significance of it. So I do, I do think there are voters who vote by what, who they want to see take that stage that night. So yeah, why not? I do keep thinking about the impact of Ant-Man being out there and being a like not especially well-received Marvel movie. I mean, it's it's doing fine. Um, and she, Angela Bass is not in Ant-Man, but it does seem like it's reminding a lot of, you know, more superhero skeptical voters at the exact wrong moment that like, oh, these Marvel movies, like I don't really want to vote for them. Um, I don't know how widespread that is, but I, I don't think it's helping her at all. No, but I also think on on the optimistic side of that, Black Panther has always been able to exist a little outside of that. Yes. You know, as its own thing, um, because, well, partly because it's about Black people and, you know, very few of the other Marvel movies are or, or had been up to that point, but also because it just, like, is in its own little world. Whereas, you know, um, I mean, I think next year is the big question whether Corey Stoll will be nominated for mm. his obviously iconic performance in, in Quantumania. Um, <laughs> but we'll see then. Didn't know he was in Quantum. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's sort of in it. I, I, I don't, don't want to get into that stupid movie. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Um, well, let's talk about Best Actress, which we did a little bit. And honestly, credit to the sound engineers of SAG, who Michelle Yeoh's dress, I thought was great. It was very, like, uh, daring and architectural and had this, like, fringe on the front that was touching the microphone throughout her speech. But you could still hear her speech, which is kind of a miracle. It was rough in the room, though, I got to yeah. say. Yeah, was, I mean, it was I, rough. I certainly wish it had not happened that way. Um, but... As we said, it was a great win for her. I mean, I kind of bought into the idea of the Everything Everywhere sweep and that she was going to ride this momentum all the way. And David, now you've made me question myself all over again. It's just, we've been saying so long it's between her and Kate Blanchett. Now it like really is, I think, too close to call. She totally could. I mean, she totally <laughs> could. Uh, I think it's, I mean, we've been saying it's super close. I guess because I really thought it was a strong possibility for her to win SAG, and I still thought that Kate would win the Oscar, like my feelings about the race were not changed in that particular category. This one also feels like a case of opening it up to a wide range of disciplines and kinds of voters and, you know, Tar getting nominated in places like cinematography and editing. Um, Obviously, everything everywhere was recognized everywhere, too, but with Tar it did feel a bit more like a leap of faith on behalf of those branches. Um, It wasn't considered a strong contender in cinematography. That was a surprise. Um, There's a lot of respect for that movie. And that movie is even more her than everything everywhere is Michelle. Mm -hmm. It is, it is consumed by her and there is a tremendous amount of respect for her in that movie. And, you know, I do think of wins like the Olivia Coleman win. That's not the sentimental win. That was Glenn Close. Um, obviously, very different set of dynamics, but when it comes down to it, they don't tend to do the sentimental choice. And I think Kate Blanchett is not the sentimental choice. She is the choice for a movie that I think they will want to honor in some way. Yeah, I mean, the luckily this Best Actress feels a little bit less fraught because, like, if Blanchett doesn't win for you know, for my mind, the performance of the decade, okay, she's got two, you know, yeah. like. Michelle Yeoh gets an Oscar. That's a great story. I'm really happy for her. She'll give a lovely speech. I thought it was really um, nice to see her at the SAGs. Like, even when the, starting from when they announced her name, like, totally unguarded. Like, she was just, like, rawly emotional, you know, mm-hmm. and in a way that I don't feel like I've seen her be before, which was really nice, you know. You know, I love Tar, um, uh, so I would be happy if Kate Blanchett won for that work. But, like, I just, I don't feel as tense about this one as I do about Supporting <laughs> Actress. Mm. Oh, Richard, I feel very <laughs> tense about this category. I, I, I agree. I feel, I lean towards Kate still winning. Um, but I just, I am haunted by the fact that only one woman of color has ever won this Oscar. Yeah. And the fact that Michelle... Like seeing her so raw on the on the SAG stage, and I I will say a lot of people were very raw when they won on that stage. And afterwards, I was talking to a rep who was like, "For actors, like this award sometimes means more to them than yep. the Oscar because it is wow. their peers, and that's why everyone was crying." Because I was like, "Everyone is crying tonight," but it, it it is very significant to them, even if you know the rest of us are like another award show. But um, anyway, I just feel like what it would mean for her, but also what she carries on her back if if Michelle won, it feels so heavy to me. And and I agree that both of the performances are deserving and to win, but to me this race is, is tied up in so much more, I think, that makes it feel so significant. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to minimize that. I guess what I meant more was that, like, if the upset happens, which I guess at this point would be Yo beating Blanchett, mm-hmm, yeah. that's a happy upset. Yes. You know, totally whereas with, with supporting actress, if Bass, Bassett loses somehow, that's going to really be like, oh, shit. You know, like, I, I just, I, I feel like Michelle, Michelle Yo being kind of in second position makes the best actress, like, more exciting in a good way. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, now there's the door is much more open for her to win um, than it looked just a couple weeks ago. I think what we're really saying is Jessica Chastain should thank her lucky stars that Tammy Faye came out last year. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, the the tribute to James Hong at the end of the Everything Everywhere cast, which their like group acceptance of the Ensemble Award was phenomenal. Um, but it made me. We did an interview with him when he got his star in the Walk of Fame last year and talked about some clips from his career. And there's this clip of him on Taxi with Judd Hirsch, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but and, and he's really good in this very quick scene where he's playing a, a Hong Kong businessman who doesn't speak English. And it really was this sharp reminder of how long that the roles for Asian actors were so limited in that way. And that's something James Hong has talked about. He's been working in Hollywood since the 50s. Like, that was what he could do for a really long time, and he did his best with them. And that 
kind of put into even more sharp relief what you were saying, Rebecca, about how limited Best Actress has been and what the possibilities were for anyone who was not a white woman. Um, And it's not fair to put that on Kate Blanchett or any one individual person, but the stakes are really high, as you said. Yeah. Should we talk about Best Actor? (laughs) Yeah, we we got to get to Actor. Speaking of emotional speeches. And like up in the air races. Oh, my God. Uh, I feel like we have to start by shouting out A24, who took all oh my God. the acting wins um, and obviously best uh, ensemble. But uh, yeah, so Brendan Fraser won for The Whale. And I, and it's funny because David and I were sitting with a couple other um, reporters. And we at that point, we were all just doing a... Let's all guess before it's announced. <laughs> before <game."> we're wrong. <laughs> and we all and and it was pretty I think it was split, right? It was like half of us thought Austin Butler, half of us thought Brendan Fraser. And, and half thought Kate, half thought Michelle. It yeah. was all very all it, over the it, place. it really reflected uh, what we're all dealing with right now. But um but then when Brendan won, I was like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. Yep. And I see this repeating on the Oscar stage because he is the comeback story and he gives the speech for that and he was so emotional um despite you know and so despite the movie not being liked whereas a lot of people really like elvis i just feel like to me this one solidified who i think is going to win i agree oh good (laughs) i mean i not to blame anyone on this podcast of course but i do feel like i have constantly been having brendan at number one and then talking myself out of it hearing other people say that's not going to happen but he just he does make the most sense in this very weird race and there has been with austin obviously elvis is kind of in that vein of what we were talking about with tar or banshees a movie that is widely liked you know ought to win somewhere but he's just such an atypical winner for this kind of category and i i'm sensing a little bit of uh awareness of his campaigning and his uh very deliberate (laughs) methods. I I was hearing some rumblings of that on Sunday night. And he's just, there, there is a sense that he's very young. He's very new. He will have more chances. And you have this kind of comeback story that has been screamed at us since like August, since we did our very own first look on that movie. Um, And it is clearly um, a performance, if not a movie that, that, a lot of the industry has gotten behind and um, I am now, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with Brendan. I have not stuck with him. I've changed it a dozen times, but I (laughs) I think that was the moment that I was like, yeah, he's, he's probably going to take it. It's just, it's been the story of this category, even as there's been so much seesawing. um, I think he's going to win. But again, with the sentimentality of the SAGs, like, I, I don't I don't know if I see it the same way. Like, I, I think that Fraser in a group of largely American actors where, you know, they're like, oh, the, the Fraser narrative, like, what a what a great early career he had. What a scary thing happened to him for many years. And now he's back. Like, let's give him the prize for doing the most acting. Not that Austin Butler isn't doing a ton of acting. But I think that when you go to the Academy which is more international, you have all the technical people, you have craftspeople, you know, like, uh, you know, a lot of many of whom saw El- Elvis, I would guess, probably more than saw the whale. Like, I, I just I kind of feel like Austin Butler is more of the populist choice um, at the Oscars, whereas Fraser winning at the SAGs makes total sense to me. Um, he makes less sense in, given the current makeup of the Academy and given how the whale has been overall received. This is roughly what I was thinking. Like his speech, Ki Hui Kwan's, and I think Jennifer Coolidge all were just like, if I made it through the period <laughs> of uh, darkness or, you know, like not working that I did, then you can too. Like speaking directly to out of work actors watching. Don't forget Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. I mean, <laughs> look, everyone has gone through their trials and tribulations to get to the SAG stage. Um, and, I, and I wondered if the SAG audience, like Richard said, is really more susceptible to that narrative. Um, and then with Austin Butler, like you say, he's atypical, but like the Rami Malik path is right there. And not that long ago. And like, it depends on who the competition is, obviously, but that that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, but he'd already won an Emmy. And I do think there's a difference there. Hmm. I mean, he, he didn't win one for Wizards of Waverly Place. I need to no. <laughs> but that is, I mean, that is, that is a, that's the gap for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the gap for me is they were both young. They were both in mixed reviewed, uh, very flashy musical biopics. Um, but I think Rami came in with a bit more cachet. Mm-hmm. He'd been um, in The Master. And also that movie came out at the end of the year and was this box office phenomenon. And I I, I wonder if that 
movie came out two months earlier if he had would have sustained that momentum. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my other thing about this category is that BAFTA actually nominated The Whale more than the Academy did. It got into screenplay. They also nominated Hong Chao. So it, it wasn't like the European bloc didn't like the movie relative to Americans. Um, but they gave it to Austin Butler. But they gave it to Austin Butler. Um, I, I just, I wonder why SAG wouldn't have given it to Austin Butler. I don't know. I just, I feel like it's Brendan's. There's something in me that has been telling me this is Brendan's. You don't understand why a bunch of actors don't want to give it to the handsome young man who came out of nowhere to be an Oscar frontrunner? <laughs> they gave it to Rami. He's a little, di- he's a little different, though, I, I think. I don't know. This is clearly my strong anti-whale bias speaking. <laughs> so <laughs> take all of this with a grain of salt. I, I don't know. I just feel like they're voting for Elvis. They're not voting for Austin Butler. You know, and they, they're, they I, I think that, and I mean both the late singer and the movie. Um, and I don't think the whale has that, ki- that kind of groundswell support, you know, across all categories. I mean, it doesn't. It just frankly doesn't. And there are plenty of examples of actors winning awards for as the lone emissary of their film. But... I mean, Fraser does give good speeches, so that counts for something. But I just think that more Academy voters will have watched and liked Elvis than have connected with The Whale, um, especially the ones who aren't actors. I love that we're, like, very much split on this. (laughs) I know. I love it. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Jessica Chastain won last year. Like, that was a movie for the SAG last year. Like, it was not a well-liked movie. Yeah. um, And it was a big, transformative performance. And I did not predict her to win the Oscar. I thought that they would go with a more discerning choice like Penelope Cruz. Um, But sometimes they go a little basic. (laughs) (laughs) More basic than we might expect. I mean, yes, I'm predicting Kate Blanchett and Brendan Fraser to win, and those are like on opposite planets. But (laughs) sometimes they, they work in mysterious ways. This brings up something that will come up next week when we do our predictions. But I, I still feel like Elvis is, should win a bunch of Oscars. Like, it just feels right that it would. But it's kind of up against All Quiet on the Western Front in a lot of those places where it would win. And I I honestly don't know if I should predict Elvis to win five Oscars or zero. I think the big the big mistake that Baz Luhrmann made is in the original cut before it screened at Cannes, there was a scene where Elvis drove a tank over a bunch of German twinks. <laughs> And they cut that, and that was the mistake. And he did go to Germany, um, and that's a, a lesser-known part of his story. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, Colonel Tom Parker let him leave America for one thing. Um, <laughs> I think you're right, Katie, that Elvis, like, in, in Oscars past, like, you know, pre-pandemic, all that, like, that kind of big Baz Luhrmann-y, showy movie with costumes and all that stuff, that would be sweeping in the technicals, you know. Um, but because All Quiet's there, lurking, it's going to get its, quote, best picture in foreign language, but um, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. Again, people love Elvis. That's why I think they're going to go with Austin. I think people are a little chillier on the whale, though no one is chilly on Brendan Fraser. I think that is the yes. thing that is propelling him is that as much as that movie itself and aspects of the physical performance might be up for debate um, in the industry, Fraser himself and his graciousness and his uh, clear, um, he's clearly touched by all of this. Like that, that does count for a lot. And uh, Butler. You know who who is he? Because he's still talking in the voice, and I, you know, yeah. like, I think people are maybe getting sick of that. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a, I think that's a problem for him. I think the who is he question. That's exactly what I've been asking myself. Yeah, and and as I said, I do think people think, what is he going to say on that stage? What do I want to hear on that night? Who do Thank I want to see to take that stage? <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> do they want to hear Elvis? Is the question All right? I feel like we should mention Colin Farrell one last time. Like, I think we've all kind of figured that if he was going to win something, he would have by now. Um, but, you know, he's still there. We still keep wondering if the Banshees of Inisherin is going to win anything. I don't see the path for it. It will always frustrate me that he, that Brendan Fraser got all the comeback energy and Colin Farrell on his first Oscar nomination got none. But that seems to be what, what happened. Some parallels to supporting actress there, maybe. If only Colin Farrell hadn't done all those interesting arty movies all these past, you know, 10 years, (laughs) really screwing him in the end. (laughs) He he saved his uh, transformation into a weird bodysuit for the the Batman movie instead of an indie movie, and that was what did it. 
I think also the Colin Farrell thing is an interesting indicator of like where we are, we're at in terms of performance these days. We're like, it's a great performance. It's definitely one that would have won an Oscar however many years ago. But like, he's up against two big transformative physically, vocally kind of things. And it's just like, in terms of like, high wire act technical stuff, that Farrell's not doing that, you know, and I think that when push comes to shove, and you have to fill out something on your ballot, you don't go for the subtlety. Um, I mean, that happens here and there, but like, it, it's, it's increasingly uncommon to see a quieter performance, mm-hmm. you know, get all the way. Yep. Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, Will Smith, Jessica Chastain, that has been the trend. Yeah. Yeah. Francis McDormand, again, outlier year. Yeah. Outlier year. But Three Billboards was not quiet. <laughs> no, indeed. And Gary Oldman was also that year. So yeah, it's, that's been that's been where we've gone. Yeah, actor in particular has been has had a real streak of that. I'll give you that. But also, Austin Butler's a big performance too. Like we've got two big ones that are. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh yeah, I think in yeah. that in that vein, either of them fit into that. Uh, yeah. Template. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q and A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. So let's talk about the Oscar-dominated shorts, which is uh, a part of the Oscar ballot that I think intimidates a lot of people, maybe with good reason. It's 15 films. Uh, they're short, but they're not that short. Some of these are 40 minutes long. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to watch all of them, <laughs> yeah. you need to take your time. Um, they've been playing in theaters. You can rent them on VOD. And then a lot of them um, are just kind of available if you Google them. Like My Year of Dicks is on Hulu. Several of the uh, animated and doc shorts are on the New Yorker website. Um, I mentioned My Year of Dicks. It's the first one that I watched. So maybe let's start with animated. Um, you might have heard me talk to Pamela Ribbon on this podcast earlier this week. Um, I feel very biased in this movie because she started as a blogger for Television Without Pity, which I imagine loomed large for all of us in some way as we started our online writing careers. Um, so I think totally biased. I love this movie and I want it to win. I think it's the best one in the category too. Am I crazy? It's great. I think it will win. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they're, they're the, the, I think the stealth kind of problem in this category for me is the boy the mole the fox and the horse Mm -hmm. which is apple it has idris elba tom hollander gabriel byrne um it just has a lot of like pedigree behind it it or executive produced it right harrelson too yeah i think the big problem with that is that it sucks (laughs) i hated it um it's like so cheaply sentimental and just like there's a point where like the the mole asked the kid what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, kind. And I was like, oh, shut up. Everybody go home. This is so lame. I'm, I'm sure it's good for little ones to like be like, oh, yeah, kindness is important. But like, I did not you try to watch some... it with my kids because I do not yeah. think they would have made it through. I think also, I think kids might be kind of bored by it. Mm. Um, whereas My Year of Dicks has a similar sort of sentiment to it, but it's, a, it's pricklier. It's more interesting. It's doing more innovative things with the animation. Um, you know, both are hand-drawn, um, which is appreciated. And, and it's always nice to watch the animated shorts because not everything is CGI or compu- you know, computer graphics or whatever. Um, and it has the splashy title. I don't know. I just feel like that would be kind of a fun one for people to check off on their ballot, thinking they're being a little transgressive. And, and if enough people do that, then it wins. I've, I've told Katie for sure that whenever I feel stuck in one of these categories, I do go with the ca- most catchy title. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, I am right. I think voters <laughs> probably do that too, right? Yeah. I mean, that is not the worst way to predict these categories because it is so hard to, I think, just figure out <laughs> what the sentiment is and what the preference is and what has been seen. Uh, and I think that what's clicked on more immediately are the... Um, the catchy titles. Uh, I, but I, I felt the same way about Boy Mullen Fox, Richard. Um, so many so many aphorisms that yeah. leaned into the saccharine and made me want to pull my ears out. There is the catchy title of An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It, which mm-hmm. is a kind of meta-fictional claymation thing or stop-motion animation thing. So that could kind of also take attention away from My Ear of Dicks, but I, I don't know. I also really liked The Ice Merchants, I just thought the animation on that was really unique and transporting, and it had a this quality of a silent movie that I found really compelling, and uh, it wasn't too long, 
<laughs> that one's on the New Yorker website. It's very easy to find. And, and it's just, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. It's, it's what I love about this particular category um, because you get such a range of animation in a way you often do not in the animated feature race. And this for me, was a prime example of something that was really mystical and strange and, and I found very moving. Yeah. Yeah, I think The Falling Sailor is maybe the most avant-garde of the five. And last year, yeah. I feel like all the animated shirts were very strange in some way. Um, yeah. And this is kind of the most like those. But I also really enjoyed it. It's very short and kind of, um, you know, experiential. And it involves some live action in there. And a sailor flies in an explosion in outer space. <laughs> it's like 12 minutes long. People should just watch it on the New Yorker website. The Flying Sailor is interesting because it is about roughly... Um, this thing that really happened in Halifax, Nova Scotia, 100 years ago, where a munition ship in the harbor of Halifax exploded and killed a bunch of people and destroyed the city. And uh, I grew up in Boston. And every back then, a bunch of nurses, which the biggest, closest city was Boston, a bunch of nurses and other relief people went up to Halifax to help out. And um, so still to this day, Halifax sends a Christmas tree, a big Christmas tree to be in right in front of the, the state capitol in Boston huh. as a kind of thank you for what happened 100 plus years ago. I've always thought that's a great thing for a romance movie. You know, you get a big action set piece halfway through. You have a young soldier in Nova Scotia who meets a young Boston nurse. They fall in love. It's like a Pearl Harbor kind of thing. Yeah, amidst the backdrop of this thing. And so anyway, watching that little short kind of reminded me of this brilliant idea I have that will never be produced. (laughs) It's not what The Flying Sailor is about, but I do. Now you can make your movie. Uh, Noteworthy that The Flying Sailor does have a penis in it because the uh, sailor is naked as he flies Mm -hmm. through the air. And My Year of Dicks does not. That's right. I was thinking a lot about how Guillermo del Toro has been emphasizing how animation is not just for kids and mm-hmm. like all almost all yeah. of these movies are very much for adults and and so interesting and unique and and it does feel like if feature animation had more opportunity um like this i think we could see this sort of variety in that race but yeah you know the kids bring in the money in the box office so those are a lot of the movies we see currently but um i thought it was funny that the flying sailor and ice merchants both have this like floating through space or flying through the air sort of thing going on. Cause I watched them back to back and I was like, is this like where we are in our sort of post pandemic <laughs> mental state? I had some, some crisis as well. I was watching. all this. <laughs> but then you watched the boy, the mole and you were like, Oh, I've understand the meaning of life. Thank you. Yes. yes. I'm going to be kind. As stated to me. Yeah. yeah right. Um, okay. Let's do live. Oh, so final predict. Should we make any final predictions? We'll get to these next week, but um, I like predicting my year of dicks. Should we make that our group I'm predicting prediction? my year of dicks. I'm Sticking with my my method. How very exciting. Um, okay, so let's go to live action shorts. Um, not as many of these as easy to find. Le Pupil uh, is on Disney+. Plus. Um, maybe we can start with that one because that one was backed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, Rebecca, you did an interview with him and the director around Telluride, I think. This movie's been making the uh, the awards. Can. Was it Can? Holy moly. It was Can. It's been around yeah. a while. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it has Alfonso Cuaron uh, as the producer, and he kind of came up with the idea to do it. And it, it's beautifully done. It's It feels like those sort of classic old Christmas movies um, mm. in the way it's told. And I think a lot of people will probably um, gravitate to that because it does have this sort of classic feeling to it and these sort of precocious young actors um, at this orphanage who cause a, a little trouble but are like supposed to get it rewarded by cake and, and it, it, it the way it's done is very it's a beautifully made film i think yeah i really yeah, liked it, it it's directed by alice roar walker um, an italian filmmaker she did the wonders and happy as lazaro um and you can feel not that you i mean with all of these there are all interesting movies some i definitely liked more than others um but in this one especially you can feel a really strong hand behind the camera and a really polished filmmaker i think i think it's also i agree with you totally david in that like it, it it's the one that feels like a complete film yeah mm-hmm. um and i this is no knock on other shorts because shorts exist mostly as proof of concept so people can get money to make a, a feature length movie um the movie that that movie about the tattooed neo-nazi that one eventually did become uh, a a feature film but yeah but this but but this one feels just like okay this is a contained thing it has a full world to it um where you look at something like of the very cloying an irish goodbye and you're like all right this is just set up to get funding for a feature-length film about two brothers doing their mom's bucket list um which i kind of rolled my eyes at um as i did 
a little bit at Night Ride, which has a nice message. Um, that's the movie from Norway about a woman who commandeers a streetcar. Sure. <laughs> and then yeah. defends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is what it is. Yeah, it defends a, a a a woman on on the train from some some aggressors, and the red suitcase, which I thought was fascinating about a woman from Iran who is, well, I don't know. Do I want to spoil it? Some, she, she's arrived in a new land, and sort of something stressful happens. Um, and uh, the, I would I would watch that full length movie. I don't know where it yeah. would go, but yeah, um, there's really good tension in that movie. Like that yeah. director knows how to craft a you know suspense. Yeah, it's a thriller kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really strong last shot on that movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I rewound it. That really fascinated me. That may have been the one that surprised me the most. I mean, I was, what it, I think it was like 15 minutes. It wasn't very long. Um, and I was like on pins and needles. It was pretty stressful, um, but really well done. And just to the last minute, you keep holding your breath. I am sick of seeing movies set in Luxembourg, though. Enough. <laughs> we, it's, it's been too Specifically many. the Luxembourg airport. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, this this is the new Atlanta, apparently. We should mention Ivalu, uh, which might be the most beautiful. It's filmed in Greenland, and it's about, uh, you know, these two girls. The sister has gone missing, and she's kind of searching around the landscape for her. Um, the uh, director and producer have won in this category before, um, so it's got a pedigree there. Um, it does have kind of, as many of these shorts do, like a very, pat, like, ah, now I see what the story was. But I've never seen a movie set in Greenland before. It was kind of like no. a like a trip I never expected to take. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed that one. I think it was one of my favorites. I mean, both for how it was beautifully shot, but I, I thought the story was pretty powerful the way it unfolded, even though it may have sort of that uh, predictable beat to it. But I, yeah. I thought that one was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's kind of like, what was it last year where there was a movie from Kyrgyzstan? And it's like, wow, the, the yeah. shorts give you the opportunity to see things. Like, yeah, a Greenland set film, I mean, I you know, I, the, the filmmakers themselves, I believe, are Danish. But mm-hmm. Yeah, Ivalu was interesting. And the fact that they've won before, I don't think is a hindrance, actually. I think it might even help them. So actually, it was kind of a good, other than Irish Goodbye, which I really did not like, um, I was surprised by how like engaged I was with the, the live actions this year. Yeah, I mean, with Night Ride, that was a movie, I was pretty disappointed by it, to be honest. Just also, it didn't look that good to me. And there yeah. were some things that I was like, frustrated by but even that movie i mean greenland you get transported to this place that is you don't see on screen very often and in this case you have two uh, marginalized populations that get center stage and there is something very touching about that uh just the the fact of it um and i just really wish the execution were there because i just don't think it was quite there i was honestly surprised it was nominated that was the one of the five where i was surprised it made the cut it's pretty wonderful international this group is, you know, it just makes you think yeah. about how many stories we may not be seeing from other parts of the world in the international feature category or elsewhere, because there's just so many beautiful filmmakers out there. Yeah, that's the joy of doing these shorts every year, I think. And like, I really would like someone to make Evalu into a feature film. You know? Yeah. Like, I hope that it can be expanded, because I think there's a lot more there to kind of mine. I really like the part in Lake Peel at the end where the girls you know, they occasionally sing into the camera and they sing, what's yeah. the moral of the story? I don't know. Which is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> usually the, show, the live action shorts very much have a moral. Um, yes. And I think I think Lake Peel would probably win. It's got Alfonso Cuaron and like star power isn't everything. Um, our colleague Natalie Jarvie wrote about this for our awards issue. But, you know, this is the category Rizamed won in last year. Um, and it's a really good movie. I think it'd be a really worthy winner, too. Yeah. Two Christmas movies, too. Yeah. Make note. Um, okay, let's jump to documentary. And I'm just going to jump straight to the one that kind of blew my mind when I watched it, um, which is Hall Out, because I almost don't want to spoil yes. it. But like, it, it, you know, it's you kind of know what the movie is about. But it's got this moment where you got this guy in this shack on a beach. And you don't know what he's doing. And then one day you hear this roar outside and he opens the door and there's hundreds of thousands of walruses surrounding his cabin. <laughs> yeah. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It blew my mind. And it's a really good movie otherwise. But I just was dazzled by that part of Hall Out. It's like yeah. if, you know, 10 minutes into Honeyland, she'd opened a door and she was, there was just like bees everywhere. <laughs> like, you know, um, but because it has this, it's very deliberately filmed. There's no voiceover narration. You hear this guy who's a, um, a scientist um, talk a little bit into a radio, I think. But otherwise, it's just very like atmospheric. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the world that we think we know shifts very suddenly with the opening of a door. Um, 
it's very striking, you know, the way it was shot. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of composed shots in there. Like, it doesn't feel like the camera's just randomly following this guy. It seems yeah. like, okay, now sit here, we'll film you, which I don't always love in a doc, but um, it's pretty effectively employed here. And then it's also, you know, ultimately a movie about climate change in a harrowing way. Yeah. It really stood out to me because, it, I don't mean it as an insult that you have a lot of by-the-numbers docs uh, you tend to in the shorts categories. Um, but in this one... The fact that it is so withholding to that moment, uh, and like you said, Richard, that the cinematography is so particular and seemingly deliberate, um, it's very different, I think, from the rest of the field in, in a way that I appreciated. I at times wondered both if it was too mannered and if there was some, the, the trickery of it threw me at times as I thought about it after, but the reveal is incredibly <laughs> effective, and it is a movie that... Uh, you, you, I really appreciated the construction of it. Yeah, I felt the same. I thought it, it was really well done. I, I think as a journalist, I was a little frustrated because, like, tell me what he, how did he get this job? Exactly. How, exactly. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I want more information, but maybe that's for the feature doc. But uh, oh, man. for them to capture that occurrence is just pretty incredible. Not to be cynical, but do we think that there's any hindrance to that movie given that it's Russian? Yeah, I huh. wondered that. Hmm. I feel like we talked about this last year with an animated short, too. Yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, it's the most stylish of the the ones nominated, I think. But then there's like Stranger at the Gate, which is more about social issues in America. Um, that is pretty compelling as a narrative because you think it's going one way and then it actually doesn't at all. And um, I wonder if that would be more accessible to a voter. I liked that movie. Like, I thought it was, you know, it could have been, it was a little pat, um, but I just thought it was, uh, it was told well. And I thought the, all the subjects and especially the people at the mosque were really compelling. I feel like it's so special that we get to do this because with the feature films, there's so much hype and buildup and we know everything about the movies before mm-hmm. we see them. And for the shorts, I went in being like, oh, what's this movie Stranger <laughs> at the Gate about? And then I thought it was going one way. And I think... You know, for people who are going to go and watch them, like going in as blind as possible makes the experience so special because we can't really do that with features. Yeah. Yeah. That one felt like the winner to me. That's the one Malala is backing, right? Yeah. And it's just got a ton of impact. I mean, it's pretty undeniable. Um, so that that one stood out to me. The other one that I, I really liked just as an archival, do- archival documentary was the Martha Mitchell effect. Yeah, um, that one was really good. Yeah, it was just really good. <laughs> like, I don't really have any notes on it. I found it really engaging and informative and well-balanced. Um, and, it, you know, it, at times with those docs, you just feel like kind of... But in this case, it, it, it felt like it had real movement and... Um, Something to say cinematically that I, I thought was well It also done. was like, why the hell is most of this not in that Julia Roberts show? Oh, my God. Yeah. Why yes. did they omit all? Yes. Why did they focus so much on Shea Wiggum and the, and the kind of like wet bandits or whatever they were called? So the plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> and not on like all of this crazy shit. Like, obviously, the one crazy thing that happened to Martha Mitchell in that hotel room is in the Julia Roberts show, which the name of which is escaping me. Gaslight. Um, Gaslit. Gaslit, thank you. But like everything subsequent after, all her talk show appearances, all this stuff, mm-hmm. like she was really out there being like, this happened to me. And like, we got to get these lying politicians out. Having been a Nixon, a staunch Nixon supporter for, you know, years at that point, um, the do- this, this short documentary gave me so much more than a what eight episode series did. Well, and Martha Mitchell herself was such an incredible character. Like, all credit to Julia, to Julia Roberts. No one does it as well as Martha Mitchell herself did. And there's so much footage of her. Yes, yeah, she's just, yeah, she's just, you can't take your eyes off her. I mean, she's, she's really fun to watch in a really <laughs> unsettling at times way. Um, but I had the exact same reaction, Richard. And it's a weird experience when you watch a show. I admittedly did not finish Gaslit. I watched, I think, all but two. It's a weird experience when you don't really know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of feel like you're missing something or you're like, why isn't this more about her? And you're like, maybe it shouldn't. She shouldn't have been the focus of the show if you didn't have enough material, but they so clearly did. And I want the full documentary. I want the full (laughs) series. I want the biopic. This definitely uh, righted that wrong I didn't even know was a wrong. Yeah. Uh, We should maybe mention the last two, uh, How Do You Measure Your Year, which is a reference to Rent for anyone who was wondering, um, but is a nice movie about a girl growing up i don't know i i don't i don't totally get it being here as nice as it is it's a cute project you know where this father interviews uh his daughter every year on her birthday from i think what is it three to 18 something like that 
um, and you watch as she grows, and you feel, oh, the passage of time, landslides, landslides starts playing. I mean, it doesn't actually, but it did in my head. <laughs> um, she grows up to be this, like, intelligent, well-spoken, beautiful singer. You know, she it, it's an interesting evolution to watch, but it feels very, like... I don't know. Show it at the family reunion. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't. I yeah. don't know what <laughs> what larger value. It yeah, has. it did feel surprising that that one was in this group. Was not made. It did feel yeah. like the odd one out. I really liked the Elephant Whispers. It's definitely more of a traditional doc, you know, about elephant keepers. Um, in in the, in the way it's formatted, but I thought the balance between like capturing the animals and the stories of the actual keepers was really well done. It's just I think the most probably traditional of of those sorts of documentaries. It made it seem really nice to go live with elephants. Like when, you know, when the Oscars all fall apart, let's just all go live in the jungle and hang out with elephants. It seems very nice. <laughs> Although then they break your heart too. So that seemed very stressful. That's so. true. <laughs> one look at an elephant and I'm I'm in tears. <laughs> it would be interesting if that one and then All That Breathes one. And so it's two documentaries about animal caregiving in India. I mean. Well, anecdotally, that movie, people have actually watched it on Netflix. I've I've heard from friends and people I know who Elephant have seen Whisper, that, that movie. Is. Yes, yeah. Elephant Whispers. Um, so I think with these categories, visibility always helps, so uh, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I, I would say Stranger at the Gate, I would agree, as a potential winner, but I, I'll yeah, be rooting yeah. for Haul Out, I think. That does it for this week's show. As I said, next week we'll be back with our last two episodes before the Oscars, including our Oscar winner predictions. They will all be 100% correct because, as you have heard, we are totally confident about where all these categories are going to go. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider or on our own. I am Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And David. David Canfield, 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Pukes, and this week's award for the best new title for this podcast goes to Rebecca Ford. I feel very tense about this category. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 